Well, we are in this time that I like to call the holiday slide. What I mean by that is we have gone from Thanksgiving, the Canadian Thanksgiving, where you get to eat turkey. Yay! Overrated meal. We get to eat turkey. Brother Andrew, you got to repent, man. Turkey is... So we have to eat turkey, like it or hate it, great. Then we move into October, which is Halloween time, and we get to have fun doing trick-or-treating. We get to go to the corn maze, which, by the way, last year, who was at the corn maze last year? Corn swamp. swamp. It was legit a corn swamp, and uh, lots of fun this year. It is short corn. We have no idea. Maybe it grew, so we're hoping that it grew. so we have, and we have Halloween, people celebrate that. November has American Thanksgiving, and Black Friday, and it gets wild. And then we move into Chris, oh, Remembrance Day. How could I forget? <laughs> At least we forget, am I right? Okay. That is good. So we do have Remembrance Day, and then we move into Christmas season, which everyone knows is a season of turkey, but also, and more importantly maybe, it is a season that Michael Bublé emerges <laughs> from the cocoon and uh, never looks a day older. I don't know if we looked him up today. He's 42 years old. And I'm like, there's no way. And he looks like he's 30 and he's been 30 for forever. He probably fought in the Civil War. <laughs> but we, we get to this point where Michael Bublé comes out, we move into Christmas season. And as, as I was a kid, one of the things I looked most forward to was the presents, right? I'm going to be getting lots of gifts. And you're always most excited. You always have that one gift, especially when you're a kid. Some of you, like when you're teenagers, you want that one gift, and you're waiting for it, and you kind of, you like, poke it to your parents. Hey, can, this looks really cool, really nice. Maybe leave the flyer on the table. I know for years, that is the, what we want. We want the gifts. And I wonder if you thought about what was that most important gift in your life and that thing that you wanted the most when you opened it that morning. It was just the greatest thing, and there's joy in your life and happiness and excitement. For me, that gift was the Mega Rig Space Shuttle. So there's some pictures here. And last year, when I asked for this, I, um, <laughs> when I was five, I asked for the Mega Rig Space Shuttle. And so, uh, you know, I, I, but I, I blatantly asked for it, like, Mom, I want the Mega Rig Space Shuttle. And I would write letters to Santa, and it's like 10 li- items. 10 space shuttles. So I want the Mega Rig space shuttle. And I remember Christmas morning, I woke up, and I was the, I'm the type of kid where, and the type of person, like, I don't want to seem excited. And so we, we have, like, old video footage, and I'm just kind of like... <laughs> trying, to, trying to contain my excitement, because I think I'm, I'm going to get the Mega Rig space shuttle. Opened all my presents, and all the presents were mom and dad. There's no Mega Rig space shuttle. And I'm, whoa. And I'm losing, I'm really sad. And then my mom says, oh, Daniel, there is a, uh, there's a gift from Santa. <laughs> Interesting. She pulls out this box. I open it up, and the Megarig space shuttle is sitting right there. I'm thinking, Santa's real, friends. He is real. And my mom to this day says, that's the last time Santa ever gave gifts. She's like, I went to every single store trying to find that, find that gift, and you give the credit to Santa. <laughs> so... But I remember when I got this gift, just feeling so much joy and excitement, and and it was just the most precious, precious gift. And this is a good image, I think, of what Paul is trying to communicate when he looks at this text in Colossians 2, in the sense that Christ is this gift to us, and he's the sweetest gift that we could ever have and ever know. He is the greatest gift 
that has ever come to the world and the greatest gift that will ever come to the world. So I want to look at this text together. And I have two headings that I'm going to be working through. The first one is this. This gift is stable. And the second thing is this. This gift frees us. Okay? The gift is stable, and the gift frees us. So would you open your Bibles or flip on your phones or look on the screen? We're going to read Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole Self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has been, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So here we go, point number one. This gift is stable. And how I want to do this is I'm getting this point from the first half of verse 6. So if you look in verse 6, it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, boom, stop right there. I want to just work with this, an idea of receiving this gift. You might know the phrase, uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I think if you call yourself a Christian here today, uh, this is a true statement. That the world views the, the gift of Christianity and our beliefs as trash, but to us, it is the sweetest treasure that we can have. It fills our soul. It, it completes who we were meant to be. We now have a relationship with God. We now have fixed, mending relationships with one another by the power of the cross. Charles Spurgeon writes this. This is a very simple text, yet no human being has ever discovered its full meaning. It is a great deep. Happy are those who know how to dive into its depths and swim at ease its lengths and breadths. And so I want to meditate on this idea first, this idea that what does it mean to receive Christ? And some of the things that I think about when we think about receiving Christ is, first of all, I think of the acceptance that we now have. In a world that is full of rejection, a world that rejects you for your beliefs, maybe you grew up in a home where you're rejected by your parents, maybe you're rejected by coworkers, significant others, you name it. This is, this is a tough world, and rejection is prevalent in every single corner of it. But in Christ, in this gift we received, he accepts us. He sees through our faults, and he now comes and says, I accept you. 
Come as you are. But don't stay there. Come as you are and be changed by the good news of the gospel. The second thing that I think we see is uh, when we receive Christ, this gift, uh, this gift takes away our shame in the sense that if you ever stop and think about that thing in your life that you don't want other people to know about, it might be a sin, it might be a deep regret, this shame that, that on the inside of us, when we deeply and longly think about it, we are saddened. And it feels like a darkness. Christ takes this shame and he washes us as if we were in a river. I don't know if you've ever seen, you cut your arm and you put it beneath the tap on a a finger or something. You watch the blood go away and eventually it stops. This idea that he takes the shame away from us. And we no longer need to bear it when we are in Christ. Another way is this. He loved us. We receive his love. He loved us enough to go and die for us. No greater love is that than one who dies for another. If you've never received that love before, that is a gift that is offered to you. And for those who have accepted that gift, it is a true treasure. And the last one thing here is eternal life. We received the gift of eternal life. I think at every point, uh, we all think about this question, what happens after we die? For a lot of us, uh, as you put our, you know, we try and fall asleep, we have our heads on the pillow, and then we don't fall asleep for three hours because we're thinking about this question. Christians no longer need to have anxiety about this issue because we will receive eternal life in Christ. And that frees us to live a life uh, that is abundant with joy. Now, this verse not only refers to the receiving of Christ as Lord, I just want to meditate on that for a second, but it also refers to receiving the right word of God. So what Paul is talking about here, he says, you've received uh, this gift, you've received Christ Jesus as Lord. What he's talking about, if you look it up in the, in the Greek, he's talking about you've received this teaching that I've sent to you of Christ. And what's implied here is that Paul's enormously concerned that you've received the right teaching of Christ, Because out there in the world, there's lots of teachings about Christ, but there's also going to be a lot of teachings and philosophies that pull you away from this one that you call your Savior. Right teaching is important to Paul, and he says, do not be swayed. Verse 8 says this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Every single day, in many, many ways, through our Facebook feeds, our Instagram feeds, through people we know, through people at work, we're being pulled by different philosophies and worldviews. They're all trying to get our attention. They're all trying to pull to us. They come from every direction. I remember when I was traveling in Europe, I was in Rome, and one of the things, when you go to some of the big monuments, and we're standing outside the Colosseum, there's people who want to come, and they want to sell you selfie sticks. That was the hot item now. They're probably selling fidget spinners, but uh, we were going around with these, these people who are selling us selfie sticks, and I had actually found one in a hostel, and so I didn't need to buy one. But, so the, the people would come up to you and like, selfie stick, selfie stick, selfie stick, and you just wave them away, and they would, they would try, try, selfie stick, selfie stick, no, and so they walk away. But then another person comes up, a different person, selfie stick, selfie stick, and they, they lower the price, selfie stick. And so they want you to be buying this. And this is a good image to think about how these, these people keep coming. They never compete with one another. And it's funny because we'll sometimes flirt with them in the sense that we're, we're like, we're trying to barter the, the price down. And how, 
How often do we actually, when we're exposed by these other worldviews, we begin to flirt and think about them a little bit? Do we mull it around in our brains? Begin to wonder, hmm, maybe this is true. Maybe I have wrong belief. And what Paul's saying, he says, don't be swayed. When I think about some of the deceptive philosophies that exist today, the first one I think of, obviously, is uh, the idea of God not existing. Does God exist? Of course he can exist. We, we have science that can prove God doesn't exist. But the science can only take us so far, and then there's places of doubt. And those who have studied it will know this. And if you haven't studied it, hey, go to the Apologetics Canada Conference. Do you like that, Andy? Come on. It's a good plug. There are resources where you can go and learn about this. But I think that we now live in a post-truth era. And you might have heard that the buzzword of the year was fake news. Now, basically what happens when we live in this postmodern age, in this post-truth era, science doesn't matter anymore. In fact, in fact science is archaic. What matters is what I feel about the, the situation now. And what matters is that what I feel is actually true. And that's what this dominant culture is telling you in, in specific ways like this. This idea of tolerance that you must tolerate every single belief and, and accept them all as true. And if you don't, you're a bigot. You're small-minded. You're dumb. This is the way of the world. We tolerate. And that's, that's one of the philosophies. And so Christianity comes, kind of gets awkward because we believe Christ is the only way. But that doesn't stop you from getting bashed and told, them, and told that he's not. And there will be Christians out there who say, yeah, Jesus is just a way. Do not be swayed. Another one that I think we see is the idea of sexuality. Christianity, you know, is holding you back from ex experience this, this sexual experience that it's an archaic way of living, man. Why don't you test the waters? Why don't you learn a little bit and, and get to know your partner a bit and see if you're compatible? You know, this Bible is an archaic way of living. It's holding you back from the, living this life that, that you deserve to live. You deserve to have this pleasure. As long as it's fulfilling to you. And when it's not, you move on to the next one. But I think it goes even past that in the sense that when you see the narrative in the LGBTQ community, this, this community that comes, across, comes around, kind of like the church, in the sense that they give you purpose, they tell you who you are, they accept you for it, now they say, this is our mission, and we're going to drive this, and we're going to make sure people know this and believe this. To the point now where it no longer is, you know, we must serve a God. It's the idea that as you explore your sexuality, you are now a God. We self-deify. And I think it's the saddest thing, and I think it's, it's the greatest lie that the narrative that the LGBTQ community says is that the solution is more confusion. Think about that. Behind their rhetoric, their solution is offering you more confusion. And it doesn't lead to answers. But if you say otherwise, you're closed-minded. Okay, Sunday school answers don't count here anymore. They say, I'm a judge over God. And that's what we've turned ourselves into. Some people, and most people actually, will believe that there's something out there. 
that, that the majority of statistics will point out that while we think the world's getting more and more religious, actually a lot of people still think there's something out there. And as Christians, what we do is we come to this and we say, you know, this, this karma that you believe in, this spiritism you, you believe in, he has a name. His name is Jesus. And the amazing thing is, this, this thing that you believe in, this abstract idea, is a person. Our truth is not based on a philosophy, but it's based on a person, someone that is historically verifiable. You can go back. You can research this. Historically, Jesus existed, and there's more dates written closer to when he died and when they have the earliest writings than there are of Napoleon and of Alexander the Great. This is a real person. Verse 9 says this, For in Christ, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. God is now a person. This deity is a person. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. I talked about uh, about a month ago when I preached last. I tried to explain this idea that's seen in John 1. You know the verse where it says, uh, And the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us? This idea that... God became flesh. And how it works down, right, is this, this, the word word in the Greek is logos. And what logos breaks down to is this wisdom, this intelligence that has always existed. The wisdom and intelligence was there before the foundations of the world, and it, and it created the world. But when it says the logos became flesh, that means this intelligence is now a person, someone that you can shake hands with, someone that you can know, someone you can have a relationship with, back and forth. And that's what separates Christianity from all different religion, is this God is now a person, and we can historically prove him. And one of the things I find amazing, amazing is that his legacy still exists. If you remember, if you've read in your Bible in Acts 5, um, this is shortly after Christ has ra- risen from the dead, and he goes off and ascends to heaven, and Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to go preach. And they're going from city to city to city, preaching the gospel boldly and proclaiming it. And one of the things that begins to happen is the Pharisees get frustrated and they, they lock them up in jail and they're like, we've we got to find fault with them and they really don't know what to do with them. And there's one Pharisee, his name is Gamaliel. What he says, he says, look guys, and they consider him a wise Pharisee. Guys, do you remember a few years ago there was a man named Thetis and he led 400 people into an uprising. When Thetis died, what happened to those people? (laughs) They disappeared. Do you remember Judas the Galilean? He led a a revolt recently with all the Jews. Well, we we got the Romans to hunt him down. We killed him. (laughs) Gone. And then he says this. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And 2,000 years later, what do we have? He is still the head over every power and authority. Christ is still king. He still rules this world. And he's coming again. 
He still exists, and his, his kingdom is moving. God is here. He is among us. He sent his spirit to, to witness to us and, and, and prepare the way before he comes again. Christ is still the sovereign ruler over all of us. 2,000 years later, he's still in control of all. He knows all, and you can't stop it. You can't stop it. It's still coming. Look, if you subscribe to these philosophies that I talked about earlier, um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're welcome here. But you keep listening. Because I want to try and show you that Jesus far supersedes these other philosophies that you've been putting your faith in. And yes, it is faith that you're putting in there. Oh, but Daniel, you're such a fool. It's such an archaic way of living. You're going to trust a book that's 2,000 years old? Really? You're just an idiot for believing that. Your way of life is archaic. We are progressive. Do you know what that means? It means we now think better about the ways we did. You do not see what happened in the modern age, the wars, the hate, the bigotry. We have ascended beyond this, and now we are wise. But Paul has a different answer. He says this in Romans 1. For although they knew God, meaning they knew of God, we live in the Western world, right? God, it's, it's kind of hard not to hear about God or faith in some sort of way. They neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Who's the fool? Who is the fool? Our faith in Christ is a gift from above. And it's foolish to ignore this gift. And therefore, we cling to this gift. That was the first point. Here's the second one. This gift frees us. Verse 6 says this. So, you know, that was what I read earlier. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, that was part one. Here we go, part two. Continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the, face, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I want to break down this because there's three actions that you see here. You see a past, you see a present, and you see a future. The past is this. We are rooted in Christ. Our belonging, everything that we are, is now in the person of Jesus. We are now brought into his fold or accepted by him. We are now one with Christ. And this idea of... If you ever look at the tree, you know, you have the trunk of the tree, and you have the leaves, and as far as the leaves go big, you see the roots go deep, and they expand, and this idea that we are rooted in Christ, and that when the storms come, they don't blow down the trees with the deep roots. The second thing we see is we are built up in Christ. This is a present thing. We're being built up. It's an action. When you guys come here and you come and you, we're engaging scripture, uh, we are being built up. When we encourage one another, when we get to, together at community groups, we are being built up. God is building in us and he's building through us. He's building his kingdom. This is a, a present action verb. I, I don't know if you guys know the, the story, right? The man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. And when the waves come, it knocks the, the sand over, the house on the sand over, but the rock, it hits it. And, and the water submits. We are built on a foundation that is Christ, and we are being built continually. The third thing is this. We are strengthened. 
We are firm in Christ is what this breaks down to. And this, you know, you could say literally, yes, we are firm and we're in the future, we're going to be firm. But what this is referring to is it's referring to a legal court. Your legal standing with God is firm. When you, when you place your trust in Jesus, your legal standing with him is firm. And it's a future word. And what this basically means is that if you place your trust in Jesus as your Savior, on that day, when, when you stand in, in the courts of God and you have to answer for your life, and that day that's coming, Christ is going to, the, the judge is going to look at you and say, you know, what, what do you deserve to be in here? What, like, what makes you think I'll let you into heaven? Have your works gotten you here? Do you think you could ever get near to the works that I've completed? But then Christ looks upon us and sees his righteousness that has been given to us. We are clean. And because Christ fulfilled this law and lived a perfect life, died and then rose again, we now get this righteousness. And so he looks at us and he says, oh, he's on our team. Come on in. You are legally firm if you are in Christ. That's why I mentioned you don't have to be anxious about the future, about where you go when you die, because you're firm in Christ. You're not going anywhere. And if you've truly received Christ, nothing will sway you from that. Verse 11 says this, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised in Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in, working, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I mentioned there are deceptive philosophies that uh, engage us all the time. And I think one of the philosophies that seeps into the church, that seeps into these walls, and probably into a lot of people here, is this idea that I have to work my way to God. That, in, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I have faith in him, but now I also got to do the work. I got I to work. I got to show him that I, that I that can be near to him. You know, I got to be a better person. I got to work towards this. I'm not a good enough Christian, so I got I to work better at being a better Christian. It's work righteousness. It's works righteousness. And, and Paul will talk about in Galatians look, if you were able to work your way towards God, then there's no point of Jesus dying on the cross. There's no point. The idea, the main point of this, friends, is that you aren't good enough, you just aren't. I'm not good enough. But Jesus was good enough. Amen. He was good enough. And so we place our trust in him. And pretty soon we see we're righteous. We no longer need to be fearful and working our way towards him and be stuck under the shame when we fail. Because we're going to fail. But when we do, do we come back to Christ and say, you know, again, I place my trust in you for you're righteous and you're good. It's not about becoming a better person. It's understanding who Christ is, what this gift is, and then accepting that gift. And when we fail, we enter back into his fold in repentance. If you're not a believer here today, you can be if you turn away from your other life and you follow Jesus. And if you are a person here today who is um, 
bouncing between the two, you can also follow Jesus. We can always come back. We can always turn back to him. Verse 13 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Question, who made you alive? God made you alive. You were dead, and you were made alive. You were stuck and now you've been freed. There's a, a transaction that occurs where has he, he purchases you by his blood. And now you're in him. You're fully righteous and fully justified before him. This is the amazing thing. Listen to this. Romans 5 says this. And Paul is just building towards this in the book of Romans. And he says, but God, it's a big but. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you weren't good enough, Christ died for you. 2,000 years ago, he died for you. And he knew that you wouldn't be good enough. But yet, he still died for you for that day when you would appear on this earth in this moment. And he said, I want to make you righteous. I want to know you. And he died for you. I love this. In this this text here, we see you were dead. And he made you alive. You tried to pay off your sin. You tried to work it off like, like some sort of debt that's crushing you. And he paid it for you. You deserve to be legally charged before God. Every single thing, every single action that you've done, good or bad, mostly bad, you deserve that and you're culpable for that. You chose that and you love that darkness. but he takes that charge away from you. You no longer stand before him condemned. He takes the charge away from you. You are the one who's supposed to be nailed to the cross, and he takes the nails for you. He's nailed to that cross. And when it looks like there would be no victory, he made a public spectacle all through victory on the cross. Just when you thought it was, it was the worst and nothing would get better and the disciples fled and it gets bad and it's so bad, he says, I got another one up my sleeve, man. And he comes back to life and he redeems you and he purchases you by his blood. You are now in Christ. He loves you. He wants to know you. He wants you to choose him too because he chose those nails for you. We don't need to work our way to God. He has made us righteous in his sight. So here's the question. Will you, will you turn away from your old ways and follow God? Will you turn away from the way you're living and follow him? I'll close with this illustration. Uh, some of my friends, we enjoy playing this game called Cutthroat Mafia. Have, who's played Cutthroat Mafia? Oh, yeah. So what you do 
is uh, you find a, like a nice big house, you get a bunch of people together, and you deal out cards, and a few of them, if you get like a black card, that means you're the mafia. It's kind of like the card game mafia, except you do it in real life. And so what you do is the people who get the, the mafia card, they have to, like, they don't show on your card. And you turn off all the lights in the house, and everyone begins to wander around in the dark trying to find where they're going to go, right? Moving through the darkness, and you're feeling around... And then the mafia's job is while they're going around, they have to try and not be seen by anyone, but they're going around and they cut your throat. And so if you die, if you can't make a sound, your throat's cut, you're on the ground. And you're lying there. And if someone's going around in the darkness and they find you, they have to ask what you did. You say yes. And you yell, dead body! And everyone goes back to this town hall. And you're all sitting in this town hall together and you turn on the lights and then you look and you see all the carnage, all the dead people sitting in the corner. And you're, oh my goodness. And we've got to find who the mafia is. We've got like, to find the snake. Someone here's a snake and we're going to get him out. And so the accusations begin to fly, right? I accuse him. I accuse her. I accuse him. It goes back and forth in one time. So recently I'm playing this game. And me and my friend Nathan, we like to play it like Sherlock and Sherlock. Okay, we always, we always like play together and we're always partners together just in case like we have an alibi and in case like no one can say that we were the killers because we've been together the whole time. And so we make this known. Anyways, uh, me and him are hiding in this upstairs room and he's up against this like kind of closet door. There's a door here, the doorway, and there's a door and I go and I hide like behind the door. And as we're waiting there, we're hearing, you know, you hear rustling, you hear moving around and things. And I see this one person walk in She's a tall girl, and I see her, and she's, she's saying, oh, I'm so stressed, so stressed out, oh, and I'm just quiet, and I see she looks at Nathan, and Nathan's, <laughs> and then she goes back out, and I hear some rustling, then I see her come back in and just go, and cut down Nathan, and he, he falls down to the ground, and I'm still standing at the store, <laughs> and so I waited, and I waited and waited, and it was like, it was impossible to miss, right? She's very tall. And so I, I clearly saw in the light who this was. And I'm sitting there, oh my goodness. And so I wait a few minutes, and I don't hear any noise. I slam the door shot around to Nathan. Are you dead? Yes. I start, dead body! And I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm like, I, I know who this is, because we, we killed two other people thinking it was this other person, and it turned out they were innocent. So we're, I'm like, I for sure know this time. I'm coming out the hall. There's dead body, dead body, dead body, dead body. Like, there was a carnage massacre, and I somehow survived. And I walk down the stairs, and I, I move into the living room. The lights are on. I'm like, I, I know it is. And I'm pointing at this person. I'm like, this is the killer. This is the killer. Come on. And I explain every single thing that happened, and like, to the, the smallest detail, with the most passion as I can, pleading people, please believe this, please believe this. And I'm like, we got to go to a vote. But then other accusations come. And pretty soon, I'm now being accused because I was up in this room. And I'm up in the room. And how, how did you see it? Oh, you saw it because you were probably the killer. I'm like, I'm not the killer. I'm not the killer. And I just turned this massive thing. We go to a vote. And we go to a vote, and we get to the point, and the vote is tied. And I'm sitting there, my goodness, do you not believe me? Like, why would I lie? I, I watched this so bad, and they're accusing me of killing these people. It's going back and forth, right? These ideas, like, these different people are charging me, and I'm charging them, and we're screaming and yelling. And the vote is tied, and then there was one person who didn't vote. And so I'm sitting there, I'm looking, I think it was Brett. I'm looking at Brett. <laughs> Brett! Who, who do you believe? How are you going to trust Brett? And he's like, I, th I think Daniel's right. Yes, 
I know. And so I'm, I'm getting all passionate. And finally, like, the vote goes through. And the girl's like, yeah, I was the mafia. I'm like, I told you so. And we were, we were just so inflamed and so passionate. And I like, have to go outside. <laughs> I'm sweating. Reapply. And uh, look, this is... This is what Paul's saying to you here. He's saying, there's all these philosophies coming. You know what the truth is. You know what it is. It's in Christ. And there's going to be philosophies that are flying back and forth, back and forth. And he's saying, would you trust in Jesus? Would you follow him? Would you cling to him with everything you have? Everything depends on this. And if you don't, if you, if you follow this other way, it's only going to destroy you. It's only going to destroy you. Would you follow him? That's what he's asking you here. Who are you going to choose? Who will you choose? Who will you trust? Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. The blessed is, blessed is that person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water whose roots go deep. And it yields fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. Trust in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, um, what a gift you are. The gift of Christ is, is beyond what I can explain it from up here, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us and, and really show us what that gift is. May we respond accordingly to your goodness and your grace. You take away our shame. You accept us. You love us. You give us comfort and hope. And that's why we adore you. Father, may our worship now glorify this to the world. We love you. And everybody said...